Welcome to an, uh, the second edition of P2 Podcast Blues, a George Harrison solo podcast hosted by Hudson Ranney and Martin Quibell. But today we are joined by I, podcast veterans, um, people that are, you know, been doing it for a long time. Um, Ken Michaels, who started Beetle Podcasting in 2009. Correct. And Before there was podcasting. Yeah. We started it single handedly, you know. No, it was. But that was when uh, I started a show called Fab Forum. And that was right at the time when the Beatles remasters came out. Yeah. That very week in rock band. We coincided everything with that. So, yeah. It's 13 years now of yeah. podcasting. I don't want to admit how young I was then because it was only two, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> and still in diapers, even though yeah. it's Darren that usually gets picked on about that. Oh yeah. Well, we're heading, uh, we're heading towards wearing them again soon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. I think this is the first time that all of us have been interviewed together. Yeah. This is a first. It has. So, and then um, we have the one and only Alan Cozen. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Hudson. Thanks for having me and all of us. Yeah. How, how is it up in there, up there in Maine? It is um, a little sort of dreary today. Uh, it looks like rain. Um, been raining all night. Um, and it's quite cool in the 60s. So I guess, I guess the season for when I could use my pool is already over. <laughs> now it'll get hot. Yeah. And uh, Darren DeVivo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Or should I say X? That's what it says on my screen is my name, X, yes. Yes. This, I use my uh, daughter's old laptop for this stuff, and I cannot permanently get her name off uh, the screen. So it says Emily DeVivo all the time, and I have to manually change it, and it goes back the next time I use it to Emily. So um, I'm X. I'll be X today. Nobody watching this knows what we're talking about, but yeah. I think it, <laughs> can I put the album down? down? Yes, and you are welcome to. And uh, Martin, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. So, um, I don't think we have any breaking news, do we, Ken? <laughs> I didn't know I had to be prepared for the news. <laughs> well, I mean, like last minute, Ooh. like you know. Uh, uh well, uh, the McCartney Three Imagined album was number one on uh, several charts, but it all had to do with physical sales, had nothing to do with streaming. It's the number one rock album, the number one vinyl album. Um, I don't remember the other one. This is off the top of my head here. But uh, yeah, that's good news right there. Yeah, there's, been a, there's been a photo that Paul has reposted of him getting vaccinated. Thankfully. To encourage people to do so. Um, yeah, and of course, uh, tomorrow, August 6th, is the big day for all things must pass. Yeah, and 
I listened to it all last night via MP3 and I was blown away. Hmm. Stick well, we're we're going to be Martin. doing a show all on that. What's that? Martin's holding his, yeah. Martin's yeah. holding his hand up. I yeah. am. I am. Ken, uh, just, just to go off on a tangent, Ken, do, do you think yeah. that the Beck video has actually helped with the sales of Paul's uh, of the reimagined? That's really tough to say because I still feel that the majority of people that went and bought Imagined or McCartney fans anyway. It all depends upon how many of them are Beck fans that feel they have to have it because Beck's on it. And, you know, he did this arrangement of it. It's a good question to, to, to see if any of these newer cutting edge artists of today are the reason why it's selling. Even if it's a small amount, it's a good thing because it's introducing those people to McCartney's music. But I still would maintain that most of the people that are buying it are all the McCartney fans who have been waiting for it, who didn't want to buy it digitally. And plenty of them, as you know, <laughs> buy multiple copies, different colored vinyl. You know, I'm not one of those people, but, you know, I'm happy with my one copy. <laughs> Darren, yeah. did, did your um, soap colored McCartney 3 cassette come in? You know what? I have not. I have not. It's almost like I have not opened them yet. So I have to do an inventory. I have a box where I have to put all of my colored McCartney threes and imagined albums because there's so many, they're eating up too much shelf space. Um, and they're, they are for collecting mainly. So um, uh, I have to go through uh, everything yet. And it's like, I need a clear head and a couple of hours to make sure everything I ordered came in. And, but I did lose track as best as I tried to keep up with all the colors. Um, if this was 20 or 30 years ago and when I had a clearer head, it would be easy. I'd know them off the top of my head, but uh, uh, I did get most of the colors. In fact, I think I, I think there were two colored cassettes ultimately. I think they yeah, there was, put out a second color tape. Yeah. So blue and. Yeah, I think I. And. Uh, I think I got them. You know what I found? And this has nothing to do with the Beatles at all, but just for a second. Um, People joke about cassettes coming back, and they really haven't. They haven't. They haven't. I think they're more of a, of a conversation piece now. Um, I don't know if anyone actually fires up a cassette deck these days to play tapes. Maybe there's a handful. But they've come back, obviously, as sort of a neat novelty. Ken does, right? Ken also Right, still- right next to me. I have a cassette player. And Ken has a rotary phone and a toaster oven as well, right? <laughs> Shouldn't have told him that. That was um, supposed to be between us. At WFUV, I do the weekly um, new album of the week, like overview, not quite a review. And um, of course, an album that we uh, salute, is it this week? This week's album? Um, See what I mean about my head not working right? I believe it's the new album from from Yola, who's this uh, uh, really cool soul R&B vocalist. She just put her second album out. I'm pretty sure it's Yola's album is yeah. available on eight track. And when I was doing the prep for mm-hmm. writing the review, I just was looking around to see everything that's on the website. And I went to the store and I see this vinyl and cassette and download and eight track. So it was, I think that was the first eight track brand new eight track that I've seen uh, being sold. I should check here. while make sure I'm right. But uh, so the eight tracks are now making inroads again. Yeah, I've I've never reel to reels. Any kind. <laughs> I'm surprised reel to reels actually 
haven't. Yeah. yeah. So um, getting into our, you know, your first impressions of the album. Um, I want to start with um, Ken, because I know, because this was right when you started your radio show, I believe. Mm, very much so. March of 82. I started doing my Beatles show on college radio. But I loved this album instantly. I never had a problem with it. Uh, aside from Wake Up My Love, because of the synthesizers on it, which I never had a problem with, um, most of it sounded like typical George. Really well-constructed songs, great melodies, great slide guitar work. Um, and I also remember... At this time, I worked at a record store on Long Island, which once in a while I referred to on my podcast shows. And one day this album ended up being on our wall, unannounced. You know, and I, I think at that time, the only way I would have even known that George Harrison had a brand new album out was if I paid attention to any of the Beatle fanzines like Beatle Fan or Good Day Sunshine or even Beatles Monthly. But it just suddenly appeared there. And no fanfare, nothing, <laughs> you know, only the people that really knew about it even cared to show up and buy it. And there were very few. And it was really sad. And, and as you know, and we'll probably talk about this, George did no promotion at all for this album. But I love this. I, I love this album from the get go. Um, and is it like, would you say it's not like on the weaker side of George's albums? Like, I mean... I know it's not a living in the material world by any means, but that's very true. Yes. <laughs> now that to me, the weakest of George would probably be uh, extra texture and probably somewhere in England, but I've really grown to like somewhere in England more now. Oh, I love that album. Um, but George's weakest albums are still good albums. Yeah. Something has to drop to, you know, to the bottom. There's a handful of band and the Beatles. Yeah, or a good example of a band that didn't put out a bad album, but something has to be considered. All right, you have to point your finger at one album being the weakest. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But uh, no, Gontrapo is is to me much better than Ex Extra Texture or Somewhere in England. Um, maybe on a par with Dark Horse. Yeah, that's um, kind of how I feel. Yeah. Um. What about you, Marv? Um, it's strange because the first album I actually bought with my own money was Paul's uh, Tug of War, which was around a similar similar time. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't, you know, George's album wasn't advertised or promoted in any way whatsoever. So uh, it wasn't till years later that I actually got the Gontropo album. And then um, I think I was first um, attracted to it when I... I was looking for the song from uh, from Time Bandits, which was one of my favourite films as a kid. So, um, <laughs> so that pulled me into looking for looking for that song, and then I found out that it was on this album, and that's really why I bought the album. Um, and it's it's an album that's um, grown on me over the years, shall we say? I mean, in, initially, I was a bit put off with the the fact that the the mix was different for the for Dream Away uh, than the version that's on Time Bandits, but like, like I said, you know, you you get used. To, sometimes albums take time to 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 for you to actually be able to to get into them. Shall we say? I agree. Um, and uh, Professor Cozen. 
Um, my experience was a little bit like Ken's. Um, I wasn't working at a record store at the time. And um, I, I don't know, I did read Beatle Fan, but I don't remember reading anything about it coming. Um, but I used to, uh, you know, most afternoons take a break from what I was working on and go on a little tour of, uh, you know, a couple of miles. What they do to Alan? Wait, Alan, you're freezing. No finding quarters. I'm freezing. You you Sorry. went. I took, you went. You I took a, 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 a walk a couple of miles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you you went something a couple of miles. That's what you have to pick up. <laughs> Try to get okay. the right so that the edit's easy. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the video version won't be edited, so <laughs> this won't be it. Oh, no. this is on the show. Hi, guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I used to go for a, a, a sort of afternoon constitutional as a break from whatever I was doing. And uh, this walk would take me past a bunch of record stores and I would reflexively flip through all the Beatles sections because you never know. Um, and ran into this record that I, uh, you know, was new, hadn't heard about it. You know, as Ken said, he did no promotion no fanfare at all. And so I picked it up and brought it home. And, uh, you know, I liked it immediately. And in a way, one of the reasons I probably liked it is because it had no promotion. You know, <laughs> um, it, it sort of became like a, almost a, a, a secret thing that, you know, you might run into, you might not. And, uh, but I liked the stuff on it. And I thought, you know, it's really, it's really kind of a pity that he's not promoting it because this album has a lot of really good stuff. I mean, I listen to it now. I listen, I listen just this morning and a couple of times in the past week. Um, and it seems maybe a little more diffuse to me now than it did at the time. Um, you know, you have things like Circles, which goes back to the White Album Esher demos uh, and um, Dream Away and, uh, you know, Wake Up My Love is a completely different sound than anything else uh, on the record. And uh, But nevertheless, I mean, it, it just seems... My, my feeling about it that I think might also be partly in hindsight because it was another several years before he made another album. Um, my feeling about it was that he was so tired of the record business that he put together an album, put it out, did nothing to help them sell it. And, uh, and that was that. Um, but, but I, I liked it from the start. It, it just, it, it just had some, you know, some great songs, I thought. And uh, I find that it stands up, too. Yeah. Um, Darren. Um, I think I, I'm almost positive I found out about the album um, from Beatlefest, which is now the Fest for Beatles fans. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to re remember it, it had to have been so the album came out. Uh, late in 1982 in the fall. Um, so someone could look this up. Um, in 1982, there was a time that the, uh, the, the Beatle Fest, they would have two a year uh, in the New York City metropolitan area. And I seem to remember being in New York City. I could be wrong about that. It could have been Secaucus. And passing a table, one of the vendors, um, 
had something. I knew that there was a new George Harrison album coming. Somebody had said something, or maybe this vendor had some sort of display. It People in attendance that day, that weekend, knew that George had a new album coming. And one of the, one of the vendors was playing uh, some of it. And I think it might have been Wake Up My Love. He probably had an advanced cassette or something that he was playing at his table. That was the first time I think I... That was when it was new, and 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 it was oh, that's the new George Harrison, and I don't remember anything beyond that uh, because the album came out without any fanfare. I'm sure I knew it was out because uh, I was very much into music, uh, you know, from when I was really young, and I was uh, 17 when Gontrapo came out, so I had to have been aware it was out, but it got no exposure. I don't recall hearing anything on the radio, like Ken said, like like Alan said, uh, there was nothing. So I never bought it. I, I you know, I just didn't buy it. There were other things that were on my radar. And and eventually I did get it. I don't recall the first time I ever heard it from beginning to end. Uh, but I uh, my, my impression of it was something like. Why didn't this like make more noise? This was, I, you know, I was expecting this horrible thing, this horrible album that no one wanted any part of. And it was completely, it wasn't the case. I got into it more as years went by. It always seemed a little disjointed, which uh, what Alan pointed out, it's, it sounds less disjointed to me now. Maybe the reverse of what Alan said Uh, at the beginning, it did feel kind of thrown together a little. I remember looking at the album cover thinking that I could have made that album cover. It didn't seem like it was, um, you know, uh, a lot of time was spent in designing it, especially since they used the photo of George from, you know, the mid seventies from the dark horse period on the cover that always screamed tossed together. Maybe it wasn't just seemed that way. Yeah. Maybe, maybe because it, it just came out and nobody did anything with it, promoted it, bought it, that I had that impression about the album. Um, but today I look at it as being, I would. It's, def, it's definitely not my favorites. Thirty-three and a third with all things must pass. Like right, right there. I'm glad uh, you have thirty-three and a third at number two. I like that yeah, album a lot. And and living in the material world, like just like just slightly under. And uh, Gon Trapo's close. I, I just maybe because it hasn't been worn out on the radio or. Like Cloud Nine is not an album that, as much as I loved Cloud Nine when it first came out, I find that that's one of the ones I go to the least because I know these songs so much from having heard the hits on the radio. You know, Gon Trapo, like, uh, um, who said that it was like our secret? I think Alan did or Ken. It, it is like a, the secret George Harrison album. Always found it fascinating, though, now knowing everything that I know about the album that you would think that maybe George lost his audience and lost the attention of the record company because it was years and years since the last album he put out. And that's not the case. It was less than a year and a half earlier, somewhere in England, here in the U.S., I think reached 11 on the Billboard charts, which was a little disappointing at the time for a former Beatle to not get the top 10, but still sold well, had a huge hit all those years ago. And uh, less than a year and a half later, Gontrapo comes out. So there's no way he lost his audience or, you know, trends didn't change that fast. 
But it's amazing how the label was disinterested, the artist was disinterested, and you had an album that came out as an afterthought. And I, well, it, all, it also proves that for records to sell, it still had to get airplay. Yeah. And that album had zero airplay. Yeah. Aside from a Beatles show like mine. <laughs> but uh, when, when I said that um, one of the things I liked about it was the fact that nobody heard anything about it, what I, partly what I meant was that unlike most albums by everybody, um, it wasn't hyped, you know, like you, you, with a lot of albums, you know, there's so much hype before it that you approach it with an almost skeptical view, maybe, um, you know, or you just sort of wonder, but here, here is something that nothing is being done for. It has to stand entirely on its own. And I think another reason that, um, you know, is, is uh, Darren says thrown together. Uh, and my feeling was that he just sort of quietly put it out in, 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 in almost in disgust with the record business is that, you know, somewhere in England, he had a lot of trouble with, you know, he turned it in and the record company rejected it, you know, uh, that can't can't have been fun. Um, although the new one he gave them um, had blood from a clone, which uh, you know was clearly a uh, an indictment of of the record industry and the the sound that was being uh, sold then. But I think there's a couple of clues on the cover too. I mean, here we, he has you know gone on a label and then and then Trapo, but gone. It's a thing that says gone to lunch, and he's crossed out. To lunch that that sort of to me signals a kind of nonchalance you know um and also you know what is this big screw on the top of the back cover you know what is he saying there you know george doesn't do stuff without saying something um and i suppose that you could also wonder you know what is he saying by the liner note that talks about mixing cement you know kind of odd you have to figure out all these things i'm not sure i have the answer but um uh i i took it as some sort of an indication of of how he's feeling about not necessarily this album as an album but about his contract with warner and you know the the record industry as a whole i think i can understand what those things mean yeah <laughs> um so I'll give my first initial impressions. This was the last George Harrison album I really came familiar with. It was probably um, 2019 when Talk More Talk did their Another Listen show. And I think I heard it once before. And um, Ken, you convinced me to listen to it. Oh, good. Happy to be a positive influence. <laughs> so... I listened to it and I'm thinking the first time I was like, oh, dear God. But why did you feel that way? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I listened to it again and I loved it. And this is out of the four weaker albums that I think George has somewhere in England, Extra Texture, Dark Horse. In Gontrapo, this is probably the best of those. That's like, you know, a seven compared to the other sixes that are, I would consider 10 that I didn't mention. Um, uh, I want to go around and uh, give some 
give, you know, standouts and weaker points and try to convince us why, you know, this was, this is a good album. Okay, uh, who first? <laughs> Darren. Um, I can understand the criticism of the album because I feel like uh, if, if you don't, when George passed, his, his catalog got reevaluated. And I think people um, who tended to overlook George's music went back and revisited. Um, you know, and, and I also think with George's catalog, All Things Must Pass was such an iconic album that it actually may have hurt the future ones. You went to All Things Must Pass and, you know, that was such an eye opener and such a great album that there probably were people who, who, who felt like, you know, anything beyond that was, was, it was not going to be as good. And I remember the perception when I was growing up uh, that I would get from friends who actually were into music and, you know, weren't saying these things to get under my skin. The perception from the people who didn't know any better was that, Ringo and George's stuff was lightweight and was kind of disposable, which we know wasn't the case. Um, I think whether George threw the album together, like like I think is a possibility, or uh, the 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 very uh, light, positive vibe of the album uh, maybe made people dismiss it uh, as being lightweight and forgettable. Um, would do you want us to pick a favorite song now? Or are we going to do something like that a little later on? Yeah, pick like you know, talk about it, like your three yeah. favorite songs, and then like at one the, low light. At the beginning, it was "Wake Up My Love," um, uh, and I, you know, that and "Teardrops" were two songs that I didn't understand how they weren't hits. They didn't have to You're be speaking my language. You know, I can understand them not maybe not being big hits. I think if they had come out closer to the early seventies when George maybe had a little more clout um, when it came to radio airplay and record company promotion, they might've made a little noise on the charts, but like I, by, by the late seventies and early eighties, going by what I just said, I think there was a little disinterest in some of uh, George's more, uh, I would just say not lightweight. Lightweight has a bad connotation. Um, um kind of breezier type material that, you know, I mean, would all those years ago have been a big hit had it not been about John released after the wake of John's death. We could be talking about George not having a hit for a few years, but anyway, it wasn't a hit. I'm surprised it didn't make a little noise. I always like wake up my love as my favorite track, but as years have gone by, um, uh, other tunes, it seems like every time I listen to them, uh, another tune jumps out at me. Dream Away is definitely a favorite. Um, and uh, uh, That's the Way It Goes, I'd say, is another one of my favorites. And uh, Mystical One, definitely, uh, uh, three picks of mine. The, the one, uh, uh, Circles is meh, but because of the, of the fact that it was a... a 
could you say it's a reject, a Beatle reject? It was almost yeah. a Beatle song. That at least piques your interest a little more with Circles because of the historical significance. The one that I really could do without was his cover of I Really Love You. Um, and I get it. It's fun. Um, it's it's Gontrapo's Soft-Hearted Hannah. Um, not Soft-Hearted Hannah. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah. Uh, it's Harrison's goofy tune on the album. Uh, I just, that one does nothing for me. I really love you. So I usually like the goofy stuff. Cause I'm a goofy kind of guy, but in this case, in fact, I never knew it was a cover. Um, who did, do we know who? The stereos. There's a group called the stereos in the fifties. Oh, I, I thought, thought it was the monos. Stereo. <laughs> Very good. Ah, oh, dear. He's too quick for me. This is morning. Be easy on us. Uh, <laughs> I think, but that's also, that's as I'm looking at it now, you got Circles, which was an an, an older song from the Beatles years, from 68. And um, before that, Dream Away, that was one of the songs from Time Bandits, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that right there, sort of, and there's an instrumental on the album. Um, was that from Greece. Time Bandits as well? Grease? No, that wasn't from Time Bandits. It wasn't, the only. No. The only song from Time Bandits is Dream Away. Dream Away. Uh, Grease being an instrumental. You know, your perception is you get this album that nobody bought, nobody talked about, nobody heard on the radio, and you sing, all right, instrumental. Uh, there's an old Beatle tune at the end, tacked on at the end, and the song from a movie soundtrack before it. Yay, threw it together. You know, uh, that's, I think that kind of feeds into the feeling that it was kind of patchwork album. But uh, again, George Harrison throws things against a wall better than most artists does. <laughs> so, hmm. so those are my favorite tracks, and and I really love you is the one that I give a thumbs down to. Yeah, um, Martin. I was just going to respond to what to what Darren said, and I, th- I think uh, he touched on it uh, a little bit, and I think he's right that um, over the years, I think there's been a. Um, Reevaluation of George as music by people because it's incredible how many people nowadays will say, "Oh, my favorite Beatle is George," whereas back in the eighties, uh, it, it wasn't seen that way. It was always you're always a it was always mainly John and then Paul. I mean, especially John after he died, you know. But and then George would come in third, slightly above above Ringo, like you said. They were they were sort of seen as the other two after John and Paul. And then, so I think you're right. You know, there is, there has been a reevaluation over the years where people have suddenly listened to his music and thought, wow, I didn't realize that he'd done, he had done this material, which is a shame in a way, because if some of those people would have taken notice back then, I think things would have been different and George might've been more accepting of uh, the music industry, whereas he felt like he was being uh, given short shrift by the record companies. Obviously, I mean, you know, <laughs> especially with the screw on the back of the uh, the back of the Gontropo cover. Did yeah. it seem? Didn't it seem like the the critics um, lashed out at George really fast? Comes out of the gate with all things must pass. Wow, George is up on a pedestal. Then he follows that with his the concert for Bangladesh. His stars rising, his star shining even more now. Then there's a little bit of a layoff. 
And then there were criticisms of living in the material world. Oh, it's too preachy. It's like going to church. You know, George got to keep all of this, uh, you know, religion stuff out, out, of, uh, out of his music. And then along comes Dark Horse. And that was criticized. And the tour was 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 criticized. And it seemed like from that, people thought, ah, there's the real George. And they started looking away. Because after that, his works seemed to generate less and less attention, less and less positive reviews and airplay and the whole deal. Yeah. Until Cloud Nine. Cloud Nine was, was well-received, but it was the first one that was well-received probably yeah. in, a, in a long time. Well, yeah. no, I think that 33 and a Third and the George Harrison album was well-received. Not to the degree that All Things Must Pass was, yeah. but I think um, 33 and a Third was like a breath of fresh air for a lot of people who were possibly a little bit tired of George being so preachy. And you saw the sense of humor in George's music with stuff like this song and Cracker Box Palace and popping up out of the baby pram in the video and all this other stuff. And so and, and appearing on Saturday Night Live, which I think helped to boost the album a little bit. And um, I will definitely agree with what you guys are saying. I would say of all four Beatles, from what I've observed in social media, people are appreciating George's solo music a lot more. And I'm not just talking about All Things Must Pass and Cloud Nine, because they've discovered there's a lot of good stuff in between. And, um, and even Darren has said on our show, he thinks that George is the most consistently strong of the four of them. I agree. Uh, on their own. So I think more and more people are discovering that, you know, I'm seeing more appreciation for, for all the Beatles solo music, but um, definitely with, with George. But I think there were some, you know, peaks and valleys in, in terms of critical response, like there are with every artist. But I think that it was, there was definitely a bump up with 33 and a third in George Harrison. Yeah, like like I said in our previous episode, I was saying there that um, the, the difference is that George is more of a uh, an artist um, that he spends longer and he, he tinkers for a long time on this material and he he hones it. Whereas somebody like Paul is is known to just he'll, he'll write the song relatively quickly yeah. and for the most part he'll say that song's there, that's done. So he'll release material a lot more often, but Paul's material can sometimes be seen as, I don't know, uh, but like I said, George is more of a thinker and he spends longer on the material, honing like it Lewison. to be exactly right. Pardon? Like Mark Lewison. Lewison. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, so George takes longer at these things and it's more, and I think that's something that probably makes him more... Uh, interesting to people now looking back on the material because there is that element of perfection to a lot of George's material where he will get every part absolutely there whereas John and Paul could sometimes work really really quickly and want to get the material out uh, and I think that's the difference between them well you know it, that's a very general thing you said about Paul Paul has recorded in so many different ways. Absolutely. He's been known for being a perfectionist. So there are times when he's worked really hard on his albums, like a tug of war. And then there are albums that he puts together very quickly, like a run devil run or, or the Russian album or something like that. And yet there are fans who prefer Paul when he's not working so hard, 
when he's being himself and being more spontaneous. So it can go either way. You know, McCartney's recorded in a lot of different ways uh, throughout his career. So I wouldn't make a general statement like that. But I do think that in the case of George Harrison, even his lesser known stuff, the less received stuff like on Trapo, those songs are just perfectly recorded. <laughs> he put a lot of effort, I think, behind it, which this is why I'm surprised he did nothing to promote it. You know, he, sh he should I'm, still I'm have been proud of it, you know. I'm surprised that that's the way it goes didn't become a single as well. I thought that would have been a perfect single. Which one? That's the way it goes. Mm. I thought that was a, you know, happy. It's like an up song. And I just think it's, um, yeah, great song. That's That would be my pick as one of my favourite songs on the album, Gone Chopper. You have any low lights, Martin? Um, I don't really know. I, I, I actually don't mind the album too much um i mean the, the cover version of i really love you i think might have made a good b-side perhaps but I, I don't know I'm, I'm i'm okay with all of it really to be honest yeah um i, I listened to it again today uh, on purpose to be ready for it and and i found myself just listening to it and not skipping through any of it at all and just being happy to have it all there in the background and it's uh, it's nice music. And you say that about the, the instrumental, Grease, I, I think that's a nice, you know, uh, nice piece, maybe a bit long, I don't know, being an instrumental, but yeah, I think it just um, moves along quite, it flows nicely as an album. Yeah, um, we'll go with Alan next. Yeah, um, you know, I also like most of, most or all of it. Um, Wake Up My Love, I think, um, is a, a great album opener. I mean, the, you know, that sort of burst of energy right up there. But I think that, you know, his vocal on it is a little bit on the strain side. Um, uh, that's the way it goes. I, I agree. Uh, sounds like it sounds like a single. It sounds like a single wanting to be a single. <laughs> Uh, I liked I Really Love You because it and Gontrapo strike me as, you know, an important element of this album, which is George's humor, um, you know, a little bit muted. I mean, there's nothing necessarily that funny about I Really Love You, but it seems so incongruous on a, a George Harrison album to have a, a 50s cover that isn't a... A, a blues kind of cover, like got my mind set on you. Um, it, it just, it, it just struck me as amusing. Um, Greece. I, I don't know when I was listening to it this morning, I was wondering whether this was basically a backing track of a song that he didn't finish the lyrics to, um, which would play into Darren's theory of thrown together. Um, you've got a, an unfinished track, but on the other hand, it, it you know it works perfectly nicely as an instrumental. I think the only reason you know one even thinks about that is that instrumentals are so comparatively rare on rock records um, that you know maybe it just seems like you know. But but I mean, as I listened to it in the verses and in the bridge section, I could hear you know the, this is the kind of tune that could take a lyric. It, it's uh, so that's that's a possibility. Um, I really liked Mystical One. It is the uh, basically the one uh, 
the one thing on this album that uh, sort of harks back to the uh, preachy George, uh, if you can call it that, I, I don't know, that, that, that sounds derogatory and I don't mean it that way, um, but that, that deals with his sort of mystical side, you know? Uh, and uh, I think it's a, you know, it's a good lyric, really works. Um, and unknown delight, you've got uh, you know a love song, which you know he didn't do a huge amount of, and when he did, they were often quite lovely. You know, I mean, think of something. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a much lesser known one, but it's you know it, it sounds like you know it's a song for Olivia, darkest deep brown eyes I've ever seen, angel uh, come into my dream. Uh, you know, nice song. Baby, don't run away is probably the only one that just doesn't really grab me that much. Um, Dream Away, of course, is association with uh, the film. Uh, and uh, Circles, you know, I, I also really like Circles. Circles, I guess, Uh-oh. Yeah. Thankfully, the cuts don't show no, up in Zoom. You froze for two seconds. But, You're talking um, about circles, Alan. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, circles. Uh, in a, in a way, it seems you know like mystical one. It seems to refer to that um, you know philosophical side of George uh, that uh, is increasingly interesting to me now. Um, but. Um, you know, and I think also the thing about Circles being a, a, a Beatles reject, you might say. I mean, there, there's no evidence that he actually tried it at the White Album sessions, just at the Isha demo session. Um, but we didn't know that, I don't think. I mean, I certainly didn't have a copy of the Isha tape in 1982. Um, and, and without the Isha tape, I'm not sure we would have known. He's, he's got no liner notes explaining where these songs are from or anything like that. So, uh, um, you know, but it seemed like a nice song. Uh, hard to pick favorites, you know, Dream Away. Uh, and that's the way it goes if I had to, if I had to choose just a couple. Um, and then beyond, if a third one might be um, Mystical One or Circles. <laughs> Would you pick Hudson? Um, well, I'll let Ken go, and then I'll take over. Um, okay. Um, one thing that I think uh, I'd like to bring up is the fact that um, I think that part of the reason why George's sales were less and less, um, especially after the George Harrison album, was because there were a lot of changes in the music industry and musical styles. And George's style of writing and his constant use of slide guitar, which I love. I absolutely devour his slide guitar work. Yeah, it's, it's like George didn't really change with the times. And he was truer to himself, what he wanted to do. Um, although Wake Up My Love has the synthesizer in it. So that's like a, a rare exception of one moment there where his music was kind of, maybe he was trying to sound modern at the moment. But there are lots of fans out there that admire musicians who are truer to their, their sound and their identity, even if it means putting out more of the same stuff. And yet there'll always be fans out there, especially young fans, that want to hear something that sounds like it's of today. 
you know, and in the late 70s, you had a lot of changes going on in the music industry from disco to punk rock to new wave. And George's music didn't change with the times at all. And I think that that hurt his record sales. But there are lots of people who applaud him for doing just that. So when you when you talk about we've said it so many times on, on the, the various podcast shows that that we've done uh, on things we said today and talk more talk. If this had been a single in the early 70s, it would have been a hit. Yeah, that's because it was accepting back then. I think if Mystical One, which is probably, to me, the most commercial of all the songs on the album, if Mystical One was a single in the early 70s, if it was the follow-up to Give Me Love, you know, it probably would have been a big hit. Yeah. But how many times have we said that with so much of the solo Beatle music? Um, It's just that George's music didn't change as much. The thing that I noticed a lot with Gontrapo, and it's kind of similar to the George Harrison album, this is very much like a light and breezy album, like you're on an island, like you are in a tropical scenario. And um, I got that feeling with the George Harrison album, very light and breezy, like you could see the palm trees swaying while you're listening to this music. And um, it's just a very enjoyable album from start to finish. For me personally, side two is killer. All five songs. I love them to death i think they're all interesting in their own way baby don't run away is kind of interesting because it's so slow and you've got there's three singers on there and one of them has a very low voice you know and it adds a lot to the texture of the song um and i absolutely adore circles i love the philosophical side of george harrison and they're all words that we can relate to especially as you get older um dislike someone who will not bend Later, they may become your best friend. It's a lot of things unpredictable in life. You could have called the song Cycles. (laughs) It really is. It's about all the different changes that we can all experience through life. And I think it's a brilliant piece of work. I actually love the contrast between the George Harrison demo of that from 1968, which was much shorter and very dark sounding, just him and an organ, and then this full more of a band arrangement. And I love the slide guitar work on there too. But um, yeah, Dream Away is a killer track, which I think could have worked as a single. Um, And as far as side one is concerned, there is this feeling that I get initially whenever an artist covers a song, well, he's taking the easy road out. You know, it's less work for him than writing an original song. But yet I love a lot of George's covers, like True Love, for example or Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. He gives great arrangements to those songs. And here is an example of him loving what is basically a doo-wop song, which I think is pretty cool. It's also kind of interesting that he's not like the lead singer. You know, you hear his high, high vocals throughout the song and he harmonizes throughout it, but it's not like he's up front and he's the lead singer of this song. And I found that to be kind of unusual, yet interesting that he did that. And Greece, I love a lot as an instrumental. That's another thing. There are lots of people who dismiss instrumentals. They don't take them as seriously because there's less work involved. You don't have to worry about lyrics. Yet he did throw in those lyrics of, of the song, which um, he didn't put in the actual booklet. Um, but using uh, you know names, Greek philosophers, uh, Socrates and Plato, and using a word like Monty Pythagoras, 
you know, showing the sense of humor of George. I love that about the song. Another song right there that you feel like you're on the beach with him, you know, very easygoing, light, tropical feel. And I love Gontrapo for that reason. And um, I've always said that the albums that George made on his own label for Dark Horse, I feel were impeccably produced really well. Everything, the balance of everything is nice. You can hear the instrumentation very well. When you hear a lot of the percussive stuff that you hear on this album, like on the title track, it's just so good. It was mixed so well. So I really think of this as being a very solid album all throughout. And even if I like side two much more than side one, I still love side one. So, yeah. So my favorites would be Mystical One, Circles, Dream Away. Oh, Unknown Delight. I, I don't know if I agree with you, Alan, about it being about Olivia. I've thought for a long time that it could be about Danny. <clears throat> Because if you listen to the lyrics, uh, a treasure of the world, a child watching it grow. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it was about Danny. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that. You brought up, Ken, a point that I think is, is a huge reason why maybe this record didn't catch on. And that was the changing music trends at the beginning. Mm. Uh, you know, the trends had changed. Um, so much by the early 1980s. And here's Warner Brothers uh, who told George to go back and fix somewhere in England. By the time Gontrapo comes out, perhaps peep some folks at Warner Brothers thought, should we tell him to go back and, nah, I'm not going to tell him. Mm. Uh, but no, the trends, uh, the changing trends, that didn't... Uh, and so many artists that were around um, as long as George suffered in the late 70s, uh, adjusting to the, to the, you know, to uh, changes, changes right. in people's uh, tastes and the emergence of radio formats and which were really exploding, which, you know, the casual listener doesn't maybe doesn't didn't realize as, you know, one by one by the early 80s radio formats were coming into play. So. And yet you see a good part of the reason why cloud nine worked. It wasn't George going out of his comfort zone. They're still his songs. They sound like his songs, but it had a more modern feel with Jeff Lynn helping out. So yeah. that's why that worked. Well, that, that, was, that was changing with the times though. I mean, you, you say that, but then, one of the songs that George provided for the previous album, Somewhere in England, after they told him to come back, Blood from a Clone, I think musically, when I listen to that song, it makes me think of uh, a lot of new wave like uh, like Talking Heads with the with the staggered rhythms. Mm. And uh, with, with, the, uh, with the melody, it's very split ends. And uh, in some other ways as well, there's, a, there's almost a bit of Devo there, I, I dare say, as well. So I think that too... So I think the actual record company lost a chance there with that album where they could actually have promoted that as a single, which would have fitted well with what was going on at the times with, like I said, you know, talking heads and probably the rhythms of, uh, of, of Blondie as well, like, like the riptide rhythms in there and, and all those sort of songs. So I think that song would have worked perfectly and they missed an opportunity there. 
That's an excellent point. I never associated <laughs> blood from a clone with with Devo and and split ends. You know, <laughs> that's no, great, I can, Martin. I can hear it. The talk, the yeah. the herky jerky rhythms of Talking Heads music at that period. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't need that Ink Papa and like that Frank Zappa. Not the way they play that crap. I mean, <laughs> that is so Talking Heads esque. Huh. Look what my hand was. Yeah. You can just hear David Byrne doing that. Can't you? Well, I can. Yeah, and I can hear Tina Weymouth having a really good bass line to go with that. So, um, standouts for me, that's the way it goes. Should have been a single and should have been a number one hit. I think that's the best song on the album. I love Wake Up My Love. It's almost like there's no other standouts. It all just flows together really well. And it's like one after those first two songs. I love the, uh, what was it? I think the Mystical One demo that came out on the 2004 CD. Mm-hmm. I like that better than the original. It's slow and acoustic. Um, I think I'm talking about that, or I could be talking about Dream Away, but um, it's the morning, so I guess that's my... mystical one. Okay. Uh, Why does that make it better, that it's slower and more acoustic? I don't know, because I think it was like the one song that I was familiar with, and on Spotify, I clicked that, and um, I don't know, it just spoke to me more Mm, than the original. I think sometimes... Uh, when people record uh, demos, there's a certain vibe that they get in that demo that they can't recreate when they go back and go into the studio. Uh, it's almost like, um, um, you know, we should be talking about George's Gone Tropo here, but I'm going to another Beatle again here. But it's almost like if some of the songs that Paul had recorded for McCartney, the first McCartney album, if it had done those in the studio as opposed to home, they wouldn't have had the same feel to them. And so I think that's probably why Hudson prefers the the demo to, to that song is because it's got that homely feel and that just natural, it's there, he's doing the song, it's just him doing it that way. Whereas in the studio, you've got the, you've got the production to it that to Hudson's ears probably hasn't got that same sound. Yeah. And um, before we go around the horn and tell everybody what, what we're up to and where we can find you, um, Dave Maddox drumming on this album is great. Mm-hmm. Dave, if you're listening, get a hold of me because I need to do an interview with you. Um, same for uh, Paul McCartney. I mean, yeah, if he's out there, why not? <laughs> but I don't know what he would be doing listening to a George Harrison podcast. Why not? Exactly. He plays on it. Yeah. So um, let's go around the horn and tell us where we can find you. Um, Ken. Uh, You could always email me at everylittlething at att.net. You can visit my website, which is kenmichaelsradio.com. There's a lot of great stuff I'm giving away on my Beatles trivia and games page, including uh, the new Ken Womack and Jason Krupa book, All Things Must Pass Away. Uh, I'm giving away um, the Ramon tribute CD, the McCartney 3 Imagine CD, and do I even have it here? 
So it's the Beatles 100 book, 100 Pivotal Moments in Beatle History by John Borak. And every single week you can win on my website. There's always a winner for one of 10 prizes to pick from. Uh, talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. We're going to have Jason, Jason Krupa and Ken Womack on the next show, which is this Monday. And that would be the 9th of August at 9 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page. And we're also going to have Ken and Jason on Things We Said Today. It's probably the next show, which would be in a few weeks from now. And then there's my show, Every Little Thing, which is syndicated on 45 radio stations now. You can find out all the radio stations and their broadcast times on my website, on my Every Little Thing page. And then last, there's my YouTube channel. Boy, this is like an infomercial. Uh, Ken Michaels Radio. Lots of interviews with people in the Beatle world, podcasters, authors, recently with Alan White of Yes Fame, talking about all things must pass and the Imagine album and Instant Karma. And um, and I interviewed you, Hudson. Yeah. yeah that, all the more reason for people to go to the to my YouTube channel. Yeah. Ken Michaels Radio. Is Darren going to be on this week? I keep on. I keep on asking him, and he delays and delays. He has some hogs. We never. We. I. I, I just. <laughs> I guess I just never say. All right, let's do it Tuesday or whatever. And uh, I will be on, and I will be on soon. I'm okay. looking forward to that appearance. And uh, Alan, you've uh, you you were on it, uh, right? Yeah. You had. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I can't I have to do another one. My Vandalay Industries T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that w- that was a great one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Alan, where can we find you? Okay, the easiest way to reach me is on Facebook, either just under Alan Cozen or my alter ego, Alan Cozen Remixed. Um, I just reviewed uh, All Things Must Pass for the Wall Street Journal that I think went up online Tuesday afternoon and is in today's physical paper, collect them all. Um, And uh, otherwise, I'm mainly um, working on volume two of McCartney Legacy, the series I'm writing with Adrian Sinclair about Paul's solo uh, career, solo work. And um, and we're still waiting for volume one to come out or even be edited. Um, So uh, all of that's in the works. I cannot wait to drill your brain about every single word in that book. Okay. You're going to have to wait till Dan and I do that first. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's going to be interesting. I think... When do we have plans for a release? Think next year, or yeah, it's we don't know exactly when. I mean, I'm hoping that they get it out before his birthday, which will be his 80th birthday. It would be nice to have it in the stores by then. But um, the publisher has its own schedule and uh, has been affected by COVID, and now we'll see how much they'll be affected by COVID part two. And um. Is it self-published or? No, no, it's um, the, the the imprint is Day Street, which is uh, part of HarperCollins. Okay. And um, yeah. And uh, do you want to tell, um, plug uh, the things we said today, email as always, <laughs> so we can get a oh, hold sure. of all of you. Yeah, you can, you can reach all three of us. 
at things we said today radio show at gmail.com things froze again i froze didn't i you did yeah okay things we said today radio show at gmail.com awesome and darren where can we find you right here (laughs) the other thing is why it depends on who's looking. He's, he's um, trying. To, he's trying to beat what you said that time on my other show, Ken. What was that? Can you remember that time when we did the Christmas show and I said, "Oh, where can they find you?" And you, and you oh, said, yeah. "You can find me here. I never leave this room. I'm always <laughs> in here." That's still. That's that's still the truth. Uh, that's the room you do your show in. You the. Uh, that's the room I do everything in. Everything is done in that room. Yes. All right. That's too much information. So as for me, um, uh, I'm at WFUV Radio. And if you're in the New York City tri-state area, you can tune in at 90.7 FM. Um, and we have an HD2 channel uh, for what that's worth. Um, I'm on the air Monday through Thursday nights at 10 p.m. And Saturday afternoons, 1 p.m. to 4 Um if you're outside of the New York City area, you can listen anywhere on the globe and on WFUV.org. It's worth it. Download, thank you. Download our app and listen to it there. Uh, and uh, if you want to send me an email, email me at WFUV. And it's my name, Darren DeVivo at WFUV.org. Uh, or go to Facebook. Uh, I'm always on Facebook. I probably spend too much time on Facebook. Um, I have two pages. One is meant to be geared more towards being personal. The other one is supposed to be professional, but Lord knows I ain't professional. Uh, we've got Darren DeVivo. You can send me a friend request at Darren DeVivo or uh, follow me at Darren DeVivo, WFUV DJ and Beatles podcaster. If you find one of them, I'll somehow find you and ask you to, if you'd like, come to the other. Um, uh, like for example, um, uh, I posted, did I finish it last night? So sometimes I make these posts that are small novels, actually more than sometimes. And they actually take me a couple of days to write because, and then I either, or, you know, two weeks ago was the 50th anniversary. I would have had this up on the day of the anniversary had it not taken me too much time to write the damn thing. Um, but uh, I'm trying to put that on one page so that there's not double posts, you know, uh, all the time. So, uh, anywho, uh, yeah. that's that. That's where you can find me. We won't poke and prod you anymore. What was that? I said we won't poke you anymore. Nobody pokes me, to be honest with you. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> those days are over. That uh, really didn't uh, sound right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, too much information. Yeah, uh, Martin. Rat. <laughs> where can we find you uh you can find uh, i do another show called pods like us which ken has been on before yes uh, and you can find that on and on all good um basically if you do pod or any of those you end up on ev- everywhere um and you can get hold of me by going to a website called the and there's a contact uh there just click on that and you can contact me through there so for my show it's called i know i know it's solo beatles video cast i recently did a show with um the when they was fab co-host john stone 
talking about uh, the George Harrison album. And tonight I'm do and I and Ken and I did an interview with Youth, which will be up at some point. Uh, I've had Marv has not been on yet, but he will be at some point. Um, Alan has been on, and so has Darren. Um, Darren and I talked about Tripping the Life, fantastic. Alan and I talked about the most underrated album from each of the solo Beatles. Um, and uh, if you want to send me an email, you can send me an email at hudsonranny at windsorxc.com. I get a new email address every 10 minutes, so that's the current one. But I'll find it eventually if you send it to an old one. Um, but you can email Marv and I at p2harrisonpodcast at gmail.com. Also, um, I know we've talked to Marv about the Talk More Talk crew being on pods like us so i i i'm looking forward to that when that does happen yeah things we said today should be on there too absolutely yep. i had the same thought yeah why don't we get the things we said today and talk more talk crew together in one show with the two of you that'll that would, be dizzy oh my gosh <laughs> actually ken me, me and ed chen have had the discussion before of having people from all different beatles related podcast on a group chat together at some point summit yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. there'd only be there'd only be one word from each of us because there's so many beetle podcasts this is so yeah but we'd, we'd all have to make room for the queen <laughs> that's true she's got to be in the center of it all yes the queen of she's all like beetles. the center square yes the queen of all beetles media with all but, the gnomes around her <laughs> That's I keep right. sending her pictures of the gnomes because I, I think she bought the box set, but she still won't admit to it. I think Womack hat, hat is right waiting to release like a photoshopped picture of her, like on top of the box set, like Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and Ken even wants the gnomes. That's that's true. And I'm not a memorabilia person, but the gnomes are cool. If there's a living in the material world hand, will you buy it like a wooden hand? That'll be the only thing that I buy in a box set, the Uber box set. <laughs> yes, it'll Since be the that's lift my favorite vari- album. Yes, it'll be the lift variant. Okay. Okay. An inflatable hand. That's actually a pretty good idea. Yeah. Are you listening, Danny? Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and, as, and as for X, Alan Cozen, Ken Michaels, and Martin Quibell, I'm Hudson Ranny saying, listen to WFUV and things we said today, and don't go gone tropo, but re-listen to it. Mm-hmm.